So we're looking at John chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 1 to uh, 21. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not uh, own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So I have a few insightful quotes for you to consider today. The first was written by Aristotle. Aristotle said this, to say of what is that it is not, or of what is not that it is, is false. While to say of what is, that it is, and of what it is not, that it is not, is true. Albert Camus once said this, if you don't know where you're currently standing, you're dead. Or that was Samuel Beckett. Albert Camus said this, it is then possible to say that rebellion, when it develops into destruction, is illogical. Claiming the unity of the human condition, it is a force of life, not of death. Its most profound logic is not the logic of destruction. It's the logic of creation. Plato once said this, Remember how in that communion only, beholding beauty with the eye of the mind, he will be able to bring forth not images of beauty, but realities, for he has hold not of an image, but of a reality, and bringing forth a nourishing true virtue to become the friend of God and be immortal, if mortal man may be. Aren't those insightful quotes? Don't those quotes change your life? I'll be honest, I have no idea what those quotes mean at all. And we don't know, and, and to, but to someone, somewhere, those quotes had some meaning and were probably pretty profound. But we don't know the context. We don't know what exactly these writers were talking about when they were writing. And there's words in there that we don't understand what they meant by those words. And I think the same thing happens when we approach the Bible sometimes. We don't always know the context of what the biblical writers were saying. We don't know the words that they're using and, and how they're using those words. And sometimes I think we can get a little bit off base or maybe we don't have a full understanding of what the author is trying to communicate. 
And I think that's the case today in the passage that we're looking at. When Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. Now all of us know basically what a shepherd does. A shepherd takes care of sheep. But in Jesus' day, shepherds were ubiquitous. Shepherds were all over the place. This was a very common image to know uh, what, a, who, what a shepherd did day by day. To know their intricate workings, their intricate job details. We don't know those things. We just basically know they took care of sheep. But I think it's important that we get the context of what Jesus is talking about when he describes himself as a good shepherd because this image was so common in the ancient world and so uh, in the Bible it's so common. Uh, about 400 times in the Bible, sheep are referred to. About 100 times, shepherds are referred to. So it's a very important image and I think that if we get uh, a little bit deeper beyond a superficial understanding of what it means for God or Jesus to be a shepherd, I think it can really impact how we live our lives today. So there's three things I'd like to look at about shepherds, specifically about the good shepherd in this passage. The first thing is that the good shepherd cares for the sheep and wants what's best for them. Uh, before we go further, I think we need to kind of clear up about what was involved in the task of shepherding. Uh, first of all, shepherding was considered in Jesus' day to be kind of a vulgar, lower-class activity. Uh, that wasn't the, the viewpoint of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, shepherds were kind of glorified, actually. David, uh, the great king of Israel, was a shepherd. But by Jesus' day, they kind of, people kind of looked down on shepherds. Uh, one scholar named Andreas Kostenberger said this, shepherds were regarded as vulgar members of the lower class. And sometimes I think when we think about sh shepherding, you know, we think about people just kind of hanging out in the fields with the sheep. I mean, when I think about a shepherd, I think about, you know, David out playing a harp in the field, just kind of hanging out with the sheep. And we kind of think of it as being kind of a, you know, a simple, easy job, but that was the furthest thing from the truth. It was a very difficult job. It was a very active job and often a very dangerous job. So what was involved in the shepherd's day? The shepherd would go to the sheepfold in the morning, get the sheep, call the sheep out. The sheep would come out, and then he would have to find pasture for them. He'd have to find, uh, in this arid land, they'd have to find grass for them to eat. And, of course, he's doing it every single day, so he has to move around from place to place, and he might have to travel a long distance for them to find food. Also had to find water for them. It's not like they could turn on the hose fill up a bucket. They had to find a stream of water for the sheep to drink. After they ate their morning meal, oftentimes the sheep would rest, try to find a place that was cool, maybe in the shade for them to rest. All the while, they're trying to protect the sheep from predators. There were lions, bears, wolves, all that were constantly threatening, not to, not to mention thieves and robbers. And so he's on guard the whole time, and he has two instruments. He has the rod and the staff, spoken of in Psalm 23. The rod was similar to a club, and the club was used to ward off wild animals that would come. The staff was similar to the shepherd's crook that we are familiar with. It had you know, the, kind of the hook on the end, and if an animal fell into a ditch or something, he, they could, he, the shepherd could pull the sheep out of the ditch he would often also use that shepherd's crook to put over the sheep as he counted them each evening when they would go into the sheepfold. After they were put into the sheepfold, he would often go around and bind up any wounds from the sheep 
Maybe put some salve on any injuries that they had. So it was a very active job, a very dangerous job, and it was a very rugged job. Shepherds were active, shepherds were bold. Sheep, on the other hand, were different. Sheep often get the reputation today as being dumb. Uh, that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, recent animal studies show that they're not dumb, but they are dependent. They're very dependent upon the shepherd. They don't know how to find food. They have to have the shepherd lead them to food. They have no natural defenses against predators. They're not that fast. They can't fight back. So they need the shepherd to protect them. And they need shelter. And Jesus contrasts himself, the good shepherd, with the thieves and the robbers. The thieves and the robbers, there may be a distinction here. Thieves uh, often indicated someone who kind of came in deceptively. A thief would come into the sheepfold, maybe at night, and sneakily steal the sheep. A robber, on the other hand, might lie in wait as the shepherd would go through uh, the woods or go through uh, a ravine. The, sh the robber would lie in wait, waiting to steal one of the sheep. Jesus says that the intention of the thieves and robbers is always bad. If a thief stole a sheep, sometimes they would steal it so they could eat it because they were hungry. Jesus says the intention of the thieves and robbers is always bad. He says that they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says that he comes, the good shepherd, that they might have life and have it abundantly. The image is of sheep that are well cared for, that they're well fed, that they have water. They're not harassed by predators. They're not running to and fro. They're not anxious are satisfied. It's the image that David spoke of in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, lies, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Scholar D.A. Carson puts it this way. Within the metaphorical world, life to the full suggests fat, contented, flourishing sheep. Not terrorized by brigands, Outside the narrative world, it means that the life Jesus' true disciples enjoy is not to be construed as more time to fill, merely everlasting life, but life at its scarcely imagined best. Life to be lived. The contrast couldn't be more clear between the good shepherd who comes to give abundant life and the thieves and the robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy. The man named Philip Keller and years ago, he was a shepherd in Africa, and he wrote a book on Psalm 23, kind of from the perspective of a modern-day shepherd. And he described in that book how uh, he had this tenant farmer that had rented some land just right next to his. And this tenant farmer uh, didn't really care much for his sheep. The land was overgrazed, the sheep were emaciated, they were full of parasites, they were just in miserable shape. Keller loved his sheep. Keller made sure his sheep were well-fed, well-cared for, were healthy, clean. And what he said was, what was interesting was these sheep on the neighbor's land would line up on the fence, and they would just kind of stare out at his sheep, longing for a different kind of life, longing for a different shepherd who would meet their needs. And I think this is a picture, spiritually speaking, between those who rely on the good shepherd 
and those who follow other shepherds who are thieves and robbers. The good shepherd looks out for our well-being. The good shepherd cares for us. The good shepherd promises that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The good shepherd promises that all things will work together for our good and God's glory. The good shepherd tells us we don't have to worry because God cares for each and every one of us. He cares for all of our needs. That if God clothes the lilies of the field, we don't need to worry. If God feeds the birds of the air, then we don't need to worry about what we eat. I see this played out as a pastor, and I get kind of a first-hand view of what this looks like. You see people who are following after the Good Shepherd, and their lives flourish. Their lives are filled with joy. People who follow after other shepherds, thieves and robbers, and you see their life just kind of crumbling. And you think about that, and you know, everybody, even if you're a believer, everyone has struggles. Everyone has difficulties. But I think about it this way. I have a plant next to my house. On the side of my house, it's a hydrangea plant. And this tree, this plant has been there for uh, several years. It's been there all the time that I've been there and several years before I was there, this hydrangea bush has been there. What's interesting is in the summertime, I'll go out in the morning and I have other plants that I water. And I'll water the plants and I'll look at this hydrangea and it looks great. You know, it looks, has flowers. Everything looks, looks like perfect. And then it will get to the heat of the day, you know, July, where it's 85, 90 degrees, sun is barreling down, and I'll come out in the heat of the day, and I'll look at it, and it's like all withered. The, the leaves are all limp, the, the flower is just kind of turned over, and the first time it happened, I'm like, is, is it dead? Is it dying? But it got to nighttime, and it came back, and looks fine again. Next morning, it looks fine again, but it's in the heat of the day, it just kind of withers a little bit. And I think that's what happens when we're believers. You know, we face struggles in life and, and we wither a little bit, but Christ sustains us. We have deep roots that sustain us. Another picture. I have other plants. I'll have like a, uh, plants that I start inside and you know, have like hanging baskets and they have kind of short, shallow roots. And I've had times where I just won't water them for like one day. And I'll come out the next day and they're just brown and dead. And, and that's kind of what happens when we follow after other shepherds. Our lives are just filled with deadness. And, and it doesn't matter if there's more sun. It doesn't matter if there's water at that point. There's just, it's just dead. It's not coming back. And, and you see people like that who just go from one problem to another to another. And, and their lives are just falling apart because they're not following the good shepherd. They're not following after Christ. The good shepherd desires for us to live lives of joy, desires for us to live lives of abundance. Sometimes people think that Christianity is about giving something up, but it's not about giving something up. It's about receiving the greatest gift we could ever imagine. Yes, God might call us to give up some things, but we, he only calls us to give up those things so that we might experience greater joy. Not to deprive us, but so that we could experience greater joy in him. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. Cares for his flock. Second thing we see about shepherd is the good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. Look again at what it says in verses 3 to 5. 
To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. Stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Note first the difference between this method of shepherding and what we might call Western shepherding. In Western shepherding, what would often happen is uh, maybe you'd have a sheepdog or you might have a whip and you'd go into the sheepfold and you'd drive out the sheep and kind of corral them to go where you want them to go. But in this form of farming, they wouldn't do that. They would call the sheep. And that's how Jesus operates. He doesn't operate by compulsion. He operates by invitation. He doesn't compel us to go to green pasture. He invites us to go to green pastures. And it tells, the text tells us that he calls each sheep by name. This speaks of the close relationship the shepherd has with the sheep. I mean, to a stranger, they see a herd of sheep. They're just sheep. Each one is the same. But the shepherd knows each and every one. He knows their personalities. He knows which ones are prone to wander. He knows which ones are prone not to get enough food. And he calls each one of them by name. We're told in Luke 15 that the good shepherd cares for each one of them, that he leaves the 99s to search for one lost sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, cares about each and every one of us. He knows the pain of our past. He knows the struggles of our present. And he knows the fears of our future. He knows each and every one of us personally, individually. There's stories of times where you'd have sheep that are housed together. And, uh, you know, you'd have sheep from different shepherds. And they were put into the same place, the same sheepfold or in the same area. And the thing is, not only does the, sheep know, or does the shepherd know the sheep, but the sheep know the shepherd's voice. So you have all these sheep together and then you'll have the shepherd come and he'll say the word and call these sheep and then the sheep will leave that flock and they'll go and follow the shepherd. Cattle rustling used to be a, a big problem in Uganda and there were, what would happen is cattle would get separated from their owners and uh, the government of Uganda would try to reunite the cattle with the rightful owners but the problem was it was hard to determine who owned the cattle of course if they said oh we found this cattle everyone's going to line up and say oh yeah it's mine but there was an interesting story that a reporter from the bbc uh, or, or episode that this reporter from the bbc observed where there was this herd of cattle and then there was this elderly woman that came before this herd of cattle and she just started calling out the, the cattle by name and, and slowly but surely, as she called them out, each one started to follow after her. And they knew at that point that she was the rightful owner of those sheep. And I think this is the mark of believers. Believers listen to the voice of the shepherd. Believers ignore the voices of other shepherds because there's many different shepherds that are calling for our attention. But they're thieves, they're robbers, they want to steal, kill, and destroy. There's many different voices that are calling for us to follow them. Maybe, it's we, maybe we turn on Facebook and we see somebody complaining about this or that, and there, there's this voice of bitterness and cynicism that's calling for us, follow me. 
Maybe we grab our phones or turn on our computer and there's a voice of pornography that's calling, follow me. Maybe we turn on the television we see an ad for a new car, a new phone that tells us we have to have these things to be satisfied in life. Maybe there's this voice of discontent and greed that's calling us, follow me. Maybe we have something with our spouse that gets on our nerves. And maybe there's this voice of criticism, critical spirit that's calling, uh, calling to us, follow me. Maybe we open up our Bibles to spend time with God. We get a notification on our phone, and our vo- phone is calling us, follow me. There's so many voices in our world today that are calling to us to follow them. But we know that they lead to destruction. The sheep don't listen to the voice of other shepherds. They don't listen to the voice of thieves and robbers because they know that the good shepherd cares for them. They know that the good shepherd only cares for their well-being. The good shepherd knows the sheep. The sheep know him. Final thing about the shepherds. The good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. Look again at what the text tells us in verses 11 to 12. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them, scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See here, Jesus compares himself not to the evildoer, the evildoer being the thieves and the robbers. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. But now he's comparing himself to the hired hand. The hired hand doesn't have any ill will towards the sheep, but he doesn't have any investment in the sheep either. He does what he does for pay. He's only caring for the sheep because he's getting paid to care for the sheep. And he's not responsible for the sheep's well-being. In fact, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, if someone was watching a herd of sheep or oxen, whatever it might be, and wild animals came and attacked that flock, that hired hand was not responsible for the loss. Because they're not his sheep. Why would he risk his life for somebody else's sheep? He has no skin in the game. He cares only for himself, so he has no reason to risk his life on behalf of the sheep. He only does what he does for pay. We encounter people like this in our own lives. People who maybe we get along with, people who maybe we hang out with, but people who disappear when things get tough. People who are gone when the wolf comes. But that's not the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. The good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. And really when we think about it, it's kind of silly. It's kind of silly that the shepherd would sacrifice for the sheep. I mean, how much value does a sheep have? I mean, if the shepherd has a hundred sheep, what's the point in risking his life for just one? What's What's the point in fighting a bear or a lion? It'd be better off just to cut his losses. That's not how the good shepherd operates. He sacrifices for one lost sheep. And Jesus, the good shepherd, goes further than that. Not only does he sacrifice, but he becomes a sheep. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's brutalized and crucified by thieves, robbers, and hired hands. 
so that we might come home, so that we might come home to the sheepfold. Jesus says, I'm the gate. When people thought about heaven, the afterlife, they thought about entering it through the gate. Further, the uh, sheepfolds were often attached to homes or next to the home. So when Jesus is inviting people to enter into the gate, what he may be inviting people to is to come home. Jesus becomes a sheep, dies on the cross so that we might, become, might come home. So that he might lead us to green pastures. So that we might experience the abundant life in him. Our shepherd cares for us. Our shepherd calls us by name. Our shepherd sacrifices for us. That's who the good shepherd is. And he is there for us. But the question I'd like for us to consider for a moment as we close. Is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? Now, you might, on the surface, you might say to yourself, of course he's my shepherd. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long period of time. Of course Jesus is my shepherd. But here's the thing about sheep. Sheep, they don't have to provide their own shelter. They don't have to provide their own food. They don't have to defend themselves. But what do they have to do? They have to listen. They have to follow. They have to stay close to the shepherd. And the thing about sheep, too, is they're prone to wander. Prone to go their own way. And when we do that, we open ourselves up to danger. We open ourselves up to dissatisfaction. Dallas Willard once said this, The Lord is my shepherd is written on many more tombstones than it is lives. So the question is, do we spend time with God so that we can hear his voice, so that we can drown out those other voices that are calling out to follow after them? And do we stay close to the good shepherd? Back in 2001, on the day of the, the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, uh, after the attack on the Pentagon, there was a man by name, he was a police officer named Isaac Hoopy, and he was outside of the Pentagon. And as soon as the attack happened, he started trying to save people who were inside. And you've got, you know, this dark, thick smoke that's en encapsulated the building, and he doesn't have any protection, he doesn't have any face gear, he doesn't have any special clothing, but he's just running in, and people are telling him, like, don't go in, it's not safe, but he's like, I gotta go save these people. So he starts bringing people out, and then he goes in, and he's like, Is it, can anybody hear me? Is there anybody here? And he hears the voice of, of there's, I think it was six people, and the thing was, they were kind of disoriented. I mean, there's smoke that's covering the whole building. Uh, this tragedy has just happened, uh, taken them by surprise, and they just don't know how to get out. All the building is falling around, uh, around them, and Hoopy yells to them, and he says to them, head towards my voice, head towards my voice. And as he spoke, they listened to his voice and were led out to safety. And I wonder if Jesus, the good shepherd, might be calling out to us today. Follow my voice. Follow my voice. Maybe some of us are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe some of us don't see the way out. 
And Jesus is saying, follow my voice. Follow my voice. Follow my voice. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a good shepherd. A shepherd who loves us more than we can imagine. Who cares for us. Who knows each and every one of us individually. Who calls us by name. Who sacrifices for us. He loves us deeply. I'd like to close by reading a passage from the book of Ezekiel. Where Ezekiel foretold how God would be a shepherd to his people. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and all the habited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing pasture. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's what the good shepherd does. Are we trusting in, are we following the voice of the Good Shepherd today? Are we living lives of dependence close to Him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You that You chose to die on the cross for us, that the shepherd became a sheep, that You considered our lives so valuable that You were willing to sacrifice Your own so that we might come home. We thank You that you seek our good. We thank you that you desire for us to live lives of joy and delight in you. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice, listen to your voice. Lord, we know that our hearts are all prone to wander, prone to leave the Lord we love. Lord, I pray that we would run back to you. I pray that we would live lives of dependence, following close to you, listening to your voice, knowing that you will care for us, that you walk with us in green pastures as well as through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us to follow you with all of our hearts, Lord. In Christ's name I pray.